What are some of your fondest memories of being a child? Playing outside with friends until the streetlights come on? Schoolyard crushes? Annoying your siblings? Maybe even the occasional ice cream cone? But what about the flip side? The negatives? The things that cause fear? Whatever your culture or origin, some form of the boogeyman exists and strikes terror in the hearts and minds of us when we're young. It's my hope that very few of us ever come face to face with this perceived monster from the shadows. But however terrible it may be, we all cannot be so lucky. This is the story of Christina Marie Williams, who, back in 1998, was a bright, lovely 13-year-old living in sunny seaside California. She enjoyed things like art, soccer, her dog Greg, and printing out pictures of horses from the internet to decorate the walls of her room. Born on the island of Okinawa, Japan, to a Filipino mother named Alice, and an American father, Michael, who was a petty officer in the Navy and stationed at the Yokosuka Naval Base in Japan. She and her family lived for 12 years there before moving to California and ultimately settling in the seaside community near the Fort Ord military base. Christina had recently graduated from the seventh grade at Finch Middle School, where she was an overachiever and liked by both staff and students alike. On the evening of June 12, 1998, Christina had dinner with her mother and two older siblings while her father was attending a conference. After dinner, just as her mother went to go lay down on the couch, Christina said that she was going to walk Greg the dog and asked her mother if she would make her favorite dessert upon returning. Alice agreed and watched her daughter walk out the door with Greg in tow at about 7.30 p.m., not aware of what would come. After an hour had passed, Christina's brother roused Alice from her rest to say that Christina had not returned. Michael, who just returned home himself, learned that his daughter was not back from a walk that normally takes no more than 20 minutes. He headed out the door to quickly search the neighborhood, thinking his daughter would be found around the corner. But after a short time searching, Michael found Greg wandering around a neighbor's yard with his leash still attached, but Christina was nowhere to be found. Immediately, the family called the police to report Christina as missing. She didn't have a history of trying to run away. She didn't have a boyfriend that she would be with, so this was wholly out of character for her. As the cops responded, they took a report and noted the situation, telling the family that they would have a few cars patrol the area looking for the soon-to-be 8th grader. This response itself would come under scrutiny years later due to the fact that it was ultimately the bare minimum when time was likely of the essence. That evening, Michael called on several fellow Navy officers to ask for assistance in searching for his daughter, but nobody found a thing. It was after speaking to his superior officer in the subsequent hours that Michael then reached out to the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, who echoed the sentiment that this situation was not only troubling, but that the local police should be doing much more. Under their advisement, the next morning Michael phoned the two local police departments that were heading up the search for Christina, but to his surprise, one of the departments had no record of hearing about Christina's case, and the other had her listed as a potential runaway. 
obviously upset, Michael reached back out to a superior officer with the Navy, and at about this point is where the FBI took over the investigation. The FBI attempted to hit the ground running. They canvassed the adjoining neighborhoods for any signs of Christina. They formed a tip line to gather any useful information, and they began to run with the idea that Christina may have been taken against her will. The tip line was immediately teeming with local accounts, ideas, and potential sightings. But two tips really seemed to stand out. Both described two men in a specific car, an older Ford Granada, with gray primer spots seen in the area where Christina disappeared from. One account even claimed to see a distraught girl in the back seat of said car, although this could not be verified. And while these leads may have seemed promising on the surface, the FBI was not able to locate the men of interest or the car, and eventually dropped each from their radar. A week went by, a month passed, then several months, and no sign of Christina. The tip line was still operating, and sightings from around the country began flowing in. Possible sightings in Washington State with a couple, one out in North Carolina at a shopping center with an older man. But just like the previous tips, these could not be verified as legitimate. About 20 miles north of Christina's home, there was a body of a woman discovered. Initial reports had stated that it was believed to be the body of Christina, but this was deemed erroneous rather quickly, so there was still a glimmer of hope, albeit faint. Since this case had become national news, Efforts to bring Christina home safely increased. Her face was on TV, billboards went up, and even various pop culture figures were enlisted to help how they could. Hollywood actor and director Clint Eastwood spoke publicly. Hall of Fame baseball player Reggie Jackson made a PSA. Pop superstar Mariah Carey made an appeal to the masses. And Christina was even featured on an episode of America's Most Wanted. While this served to keep Christina in the foreground, there was little result to these pleas, and time continued to pass. January 12, 1999. A botany researcher for Cal State Monterey Bay was surveying an area of heavy brush just off of a roadway about three miles from the Williams home and made a tragic discovery. Under a pile of strategically placed tree limbs were the badly decomposed remains of what appeared to be a small human. After the authorities were notified, they descended on the scene. It was only through dental records that it was confirmed that this was indeed Christina. She was gone, left alongside the road for what appeared to be quite a while. This was very obviously a homicide, although what could not be ascertained was the cause of her death. It was apparent, however, that she did not meet a kind end. Now that the authorities knew where she ultimately came to lay, it was on them to figure out the who, the how, and the why. Again, the local neighborhoods were canvassed in search of anybody that could remember seeing anything suspicious, anything out of the norm, as far back as seven months previous. To the credit of the community, a few residents recalled seeing a relatively young man driving up and down this stretch of road around the time that Christina disappeared. He was described as tall, 
gaunt and with darker colored hair. He drove to and fro multiple times before pulling off the road, exiting his car, and leaving the field of vision for no more than two to three minutes, all before re-entering his car and driving off once again. In addition to the physical description taken from witnesses was the description of the vehicle that he was in, an older model, beat up, Ford Granada with areas of gray primer around the body. Once again, the police and FBI had leads. Now the question was, would they be able to follow them to the perpetrator? Unfortunately, the eyewitness accounts did not lead to anything of substance. Leads cooled off, DMV records were unable to be found, and again, the authorities found themselves at a dead end. In 1999, DNA science still had a long way to go. While the cops had articles of clothing that conceivably contained secret clues to what happened, they were unable to tap into this untold story at the time, and the case continued to run cold. That's not to say that anybody ever forgot about Christina, though, especially her family. While they moved out of state and attempted to collect the pieces of their lives, they never stopped pushing for an answer, never stopped pushing to find out what happened to their daughter, never stopped pushing for justice. And their prayers for answers would not go unanswered forever. 2016, in the 17 years since the discovery of Christina Marie Williams' remains, forensic science had jumped leaps and bounds to the point where it was decided to give the evidence another look. This time, using technology that wasn't around in the late 1990s. A review of the clothing found with Christina showed male bodily fluid. And what's more, this gave an identity to the person that left that DNA almost two decades before. Charles Hollyfield, a man in his 50s, formerly a resident of Seaside, with a rap sheet that encompassed three decades. At this time, he was residing within the California penitentiary system for attempting to kidnap and assault a woman in September of 1999, something that seems to sum up how Hollyfield went about his life. He was arrested and convicted of these same crimes in the late 70s and early 80s. However, he served relatively little time associated to those crimes then. It was his conviction on the charges in 1999 that led to Hollyfield to be sentenced to 25 years to life on what was his third strike. Hollyfield was suspected and even interviewed back in 1998 during the initial search for Christina, given that he was local to the area and that he was a known offender. During the interview, he stated that he could not recall his whereabouts on the night of June 12, 1998. His then employer recounted that Hollyfield requested to leave early that night so that he could go and view an apartment. Tracing this story, someone claiming to be Mrs. Hollyfield called a local apartment owner and asked to be shown a residence on the evening in question. But the Hollyfields didn't show up that night. Instead, they met with the apartment owner the next day. Occupants of one of the adjoining apartments would recount hearing a fight between the woman and Charles, where she asked where he had been the night before, with him responding, that it was none of her business. In 2016, facing the nearly insurmountable evidence of his DNA found at the scene, 
as well as the potential for the death penalty, Hollyfield agreed to waive his right to a jury trial in the Christina Marie Williams case in exchange for taking the death penalty off of the table. He would instead allow for a judge to hear and render judgment on his fate alone. The trial began in 2017 and lasted about a week, during which time the judge heard the prosecutor's case that Hollyfield had been a resident of the area near where the Williams family lived, that he had knowledge about the surrounding undeveloped areas, the circumstances of him not being able to account for his time, as well as the DNA found at the scene. In addition, there was striking testimony from a former girlfriend of Charles, who said that around the time of the disappearance, Charles had approached her, demanding that she be an alibi for him in the event that anyone came asking questions. When she refused to lie, he allegedly made threats against her life, prompting her to stay silent for years. After the multi-day trial that involved tears from Christina's family in the courtroom, previous victims of Charles Hollyfield on the stand, pretty much from everybody except for the man himself, the judge came back with a verdict. Guilty of multiple counts, including murder with special circumstances and kidnapping with the intent to commit murder. The sentence for this conviction, life without the possibility of parole. While it may have taken nearly 20 years for justice to be served in the case of Christina Marie Williams, it was ultimately served, and deservedly so. While her family has said that nothing will ever bring back their daughter and their sister, they feel that now they can finally close a chapter on their lives that was painstakingly kept open for years. Charles Hollyfield will remain incarcerated, removed from society, until he takes his final breath, never again being able to inflict harm on any undeserving person. I want to thank all of you for listening to this case the entire way through. If you wish to support the channel, please be sure to hit the like and subscribe buttons for more content regarding cases such as this. I appreciate the support dearly. Thank you again and I hope to see you on the next one.